Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Pathfinder QE, taking 20's take on it. We're like the latest to the game on this response to this thing. But yeah, this was two months ago, basically. Yeah, it was it was it was two months ago, and everybody everybody else in that space already had their say. So uh, we're we're gonna come in to, to mop up, I guess. Um, uh, so, uh, but before we do that, I want you the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Uh, on this podcast, we talk about games. We have not done a tabletop episode in a long time, and this proved to be a very good one. Um, to to you know, kind of come come back to, I guess. Uh, so to summarize for everyone who hasn't necessarily watched the video, but if you're listening to the podcast and you do want to watch the video, it and a, probably a couple other related ones will be down in the description. Um, the title of the video is I'm quitting, you know, I'm quitting Pathfinder 2E for, for this reason or here's why or something like that. Some clickbaity kind of title. And, um, and the guy taking 20, um, who is a, you know, kind of a YouTuber, a quarter of a million subs he talks about like tabletop gaming all the time um talks about how he and his group have had trouble with 2e as they have progressed through the levels right as their characters have become more and more powerful as they become more and more optimized they feel as though there is a um they feel as though there is an illusion of choice in their decision makings inside of combat which isn't to say that like when you're building a character you have plenty of choices you have, you have lots of choices you can take this feat of that feat you know th those choices aren't, aren't what he's talking about what he's talking about is in combat what is the thing i'm going to do and the thing i'm going to do in most scenarios is going to be uh the same a, a, yeah it's gonna be the same right the the scenario that he brings up in most detail is the uh, shoot it's like hunter's prey hunter's shot strike for a ranger right who uses action one to set a mark action two to shoot a guy to shoot his mark action three to just make a basic auto yeah, on, on that mark yeah, yeah. or basic strike i i say uh, uh, a strike is sort of like an auto in a in a in an mmorpg i guess yeah yeah um and there's and so you know this, this, of course, caused a firestorm of sorts on the, you know, RPG sphere, which is not very large. It's 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 funny because, like, he is by far the largest channel at, like, 250K, which isn't nothing. But, like, you know, I'm watching responses from, like, people that are, like, you know, sub-10K subscribers, you know. So so maybe he'll see this at some point, given that, uh, you know, <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're on YouTube, so. we have, like, five subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> So the, so the first video is only like 15 minutes long, but then he has a second follow-up video, which I think is the interesting one, which is like 50 minutes long, where he actually goes into some of the math behind the systems to like back up his points, which is like, that is the most interesting piece of the puzzle from, from my perspective. And then there's a bunch of response videos, which I thought were fine, but overall not great. There were a lot of people who I said, who I felt like had a very condescending answer, which was like, oh, just be more creative he complains about this in the second video and yeah. i get that complaint because i did watch a response video where somebody was like but yeah if you're just if you and your players are just more creative rather than just running the adventure path out of the out of the book you'll have a good time and i was like that is really patronizing no it like, oh. it, it, it absolutely is um <laughs> and just to kind of give you my like ten thousand foot view is like I agree with you that's super patronizing but I also think that that's like 
part of like a real part of the like I don't want to blame anybody for it, right? But like I don't think this is a problem that's unique to PF2E. Um I don't think it's like I think like this is pretty universally true for every version of Dungeons and Dragons that I've played. You know, three five through five E, PF two E and PF one E, right? Like I think Yeah, I, I did watch a very I did watch a very interesting response video from somebody who's clearly like a very old player. Yeah, you know, like this is somebody who's like forties or fifties who like grew up on like, you know, A D and D kind of thing, who was talking about like, this has been a problem with the system since Wizards took over the license and put out three, you know, er, edition 3.0. And this is, and he, he didn't quite say it in these terms, but he was basically like, and this is why AD&D is better. You fucking like young, young, youngins. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and so I've actually seen a couple of these responses and they seem to fall into one of two categories, which is, which is funny. Cause it's either, it's because the system is too crunchy or it's because the system isn't crunchy enough. Right. Like, <laughs> See, the thing is, is that I, 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 I think I, that makes that sense to me, though. Complete, it's the complete wrong axis, as far as I'm concerned. It's not about the level of crunch. It is about the way in which I guess, like, the crunch manifests. So, to to just like headline this, in his second video, he lays out a simple combat scenario, right, where there are two whites, there's a fighter, and then there's the ranger, and the and the kind of the operative person is the ranger. And it's like, well, what does the ranger do with his action? And he runs the numbers and kind of shows that. If the ranger does his basic thing that I just described, right? Hunter's Prey, Hunter's Mark, auto attack, whatever the thing is called. Um, he has a certain amount of damage. If he, like average damage, right? If he does a certain subset of other op like options, those options are all significantly worse than just doing the thing that his character is like fundamentally like built for. I think that, and he talks about how like the damage fall off from doing that Hunter's Mark, Hunter's Prey attack thing, whatever it is, is like 69% nice. Uh, and the ability to change your... <laughs> because I said nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the number. I, I, don't, have, I don't have a choice. That was, uh, <laughs> uh, his ability to make different decisions in combat is like completely outmoded by just like the raw mechanical edge of his like of the power of that rotational combo, right? Um, and then he compares it to in D&D 5e where the power is much diminished, right? The rotational combo is still the best in D&D 5e, but it's only the best by like 20%. And you can imagine somebody who makes a decision based on I'm going to lose 20% DPS, but here's some other, you know, like factor, DPR, I guess technically. I mean, here's some other factor that makes that worth it, right? Um it is so much harder to make that argument when you're losing 69% DPR. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to further prove that if the ranger actually flanks for the 5e character because advantage is so powerful in 5e, I guess, that the best thing for the ranger to do is actually in that situation is to flank for the fighter so that he and the fighter both get advantageous melee attacks um, rather than you know, his, his auto thing, which seems like the perfect, you know, like that seems kind of correct to me, right? That if your basic set of kind of actions is overwritten by using the map cleverly, by using position cleverly, by doing anything kind of along those lines, that actually feels like it's what you would generally speaking want, right? Um, and so I feel like that's the core of it. That's the core of the complaint, uh, which isn't a crunch thing. It is just a, the 
the power of the base rotational ability, I'll call it, um, is so high and so out of whack that there is no situational circumstance that could possibly outweigh doing the rotational ability as your turn every turn. Okay, so and I think this is this is my this is my kind of theoretical problem with, with, with the case that he lays out, right? Like, I, I think you're ultimately right. And this is what I mean by, like, the complaint is, like, there's either too much crunch or there's not enough crunch, right? Because, like, if you have a crunchier system, right? Like, I, I see a lot of people um, referencing, like, the, uh, the, the OS old school revival type stuff, which tends to be a little bit, like, crunchier, a little bit more simulationist, right? Like, that gives you enough variables to play around with that you have to, like, kind of at least crunch the numbers, or it makes it too hard to crunch the numbers, so you have to, like, feel it out. So that, like you know, more of those differences appear. And so you can, so you've got more variables to play with, right? So it makes things less cut cut and dry, right? Like if you've only got like four variables to play with, you can calculate them very quickly and figure out what you need to do. Um, whereas the other side of that is like, if things are fluffier, then you're tied less to the crunch. And so you can make, it essentially makes that, that percentage number go down, if that if that makes sense, right? If things, you know, if you're going to do like a D6 or a D8, you know, like doing one less damage on average isn't the end of the world type of type of deal. And that's typical more of the, the fluffier systems. The thing that I, the, the, the fundamental problem that I have with his uh, argument in a couple of ways is like, this is, this to me feels like, you know, you know, simming on, 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 um, What's 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 the the work? oh simming on patchwork yeah simming on patchwork right like yeah this is this is a this is a wow thing that Mango is describing where most simulations in the game just sort of put you up against a generic boss where there are no mechanics and spits out a number right you should in that situation do for me it's like four point seven k dps right but in a real raid encounter you have all these mechanics to worry about you have to dodge things you have to move around you might have to do a specific thing for the raid in order to keep the raid alive all of those things bring your numbers way down so in actuality that sim is not incredibly accurate right and, and I, I think that's a lot of what's happening here right like you know putting he, he, he picks like i think like a white just because it's like a, a you know a, a basic monster but i think that's part of the problem right like you know there are enemies that have different resistances and different puffs and you're playing on like a flat playing field um I probably got some specific things that I could go into about the 5e example, which kind of, like, irked me in, in kind of, like, a bubble, right? Like, if if the answer is to, like, first of all, flanking isn't a core role in D&D. To his credit, he mentions this. This is just a commonly used variant. Um, but, uh, okay. Um, yeah, but, I was actually confused a little bit about that, but I get that. That makes sense. Uh, but uh, 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 if the right answer is, is, is so there's, there's three things off the top of my head. One... Flanking isn't standard, which is, again, fine. Um, he, he called that out. Two, there's rarely a situation where it's just going to be a ranger and a fighter, right? Like, it is not like... like, uh, And and the, the third part of this was that, like, if the right decision is to go into melee and flanking, that's actually worse because you're saying instead of doing the thing your character is good at, go do this generic thing and flank... And if that's and, and if and if that's ideal simming on you know simming on patchwork, then that's always going to be true, right? Like the, the right decision is you should always pick the the flanking optimized build. Right? Oh, interesting. Um, but that's I I think those those last two also kind of counteract each other, right? Like if that's not a thing you normally have to do and you only occasionally have to do it, okay, I'll buy that, right? Like um, that's actually really interesting though. But I actually see what you're saying, and I think it speaks to this. For instance, I I kind of came away from this video thinking like. Why is it that it is so, like, that the, the, the advantage to flanking in Pathfinder, for instance, is just plus two, right? Like, that's a tiny bonus when you compare it to 
all of the other sorts of, you know, like all of the other sorts of things. Because to me, that does seem like the correct thing. Like you, I would want to encourage flanking. I would want to encourage my players to have um, a, a, like a set of decision-making, a decision-making tree that is interacting fundamentally with the map, right? Like another point that he makes is that the map actually doesn't really matter for the Ranger because without attacks of opportunity, he just sits there and even in melee, his optimal choice is to just point blank fire at a guy right in front of him, which wouldn't be possible in like Pathfinder 1E, for instance, for because of attacks of opportunity and stuff like that. Um, and uh, but I think that that actually does have an answer, which is that if the correct way to beat any combat encounter is to just use these these generic positional advantages that anyone can take advantage of right i can flank with a wizard i can flank with a sorcerer i can flank with whoever right all you're really doing is substituting one lack of choice for another lack of choice if that makes sense right like then all that happens is the player who is rotationally right hunter's play hunter's mark strike he is now just rotationally stride into flanking to a melee attack strike right because like this is sort of the this is sort of like the numerically correct thing to do and may that that is a that is an interesting point i guess i will uh i agree with you yeah and so i, I think another part of this too um is that uh um is that like and you, you know I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in this he just stumbled onto the wrongest one but like i think this is worst for the range class and i think this is just just because range combat in these games is not particularly suited to dynamism, right? I think this is part of the problem that we had with Starfinder, right? Like, that, yeah, like... we've talked about this with Starfinder a lot. Yeah, like, uh, like ranged combat tends to be a lot of stand in place and shoot type stuff, and it's, it's hard to really force that. Like, whereas in melee combat, you at least have some 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 uh, some dynamism there. Um, but I do think... I, I, I do think that he's got some really valid points. Like, I think the point that, that rang the most true to me was, was the magic missile point. Um, so... Uh, the uh, the uh, magic missile in PF2E has this really cool thing that they did where, like, you can spend up to three actions on it and each action adds another missile, right? Um, and in theory, this means that you've got a lot of flexibility with magic missile. In practice, this means you don't cast magic missile until you have three actions to spend it. And uh, I think that that, uh, that was his argument. I think that, that holds fairly true. I think it works – I think the system works better in other situations, right? Like, I think the best use of this is um, uh, the, the basic heal spell has – uh, it, you know, has this scaling thing, but it does different things, right? One action is one d eight or one or you know, it's spell level d eight at touch range. Um, two actions is uh, is uh, spell level d eight at um, like I think it's thirty foot range plus like a plus eight you plus you plus eight damage per spell level, right? So or eight healing per spell level, right? So instead of uh, at so for the level one version of this, one action is one d eight at touch. Uh, two action is 1d8 plus 8, um, and then the three action is 1d8, but in a 30-foot radius. Um, That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, because it changes the core functionality of the spell. Yeah. You have to either be in melee, right? You have to, you can target in single target, or it's a big AoE. That's yeah. actually very clever, uh, compared yeah. to the magic missile example, I guess. No, no, it, absolutely. And I, I think, I, and you know, I think the, the other part of this, too, is like, just like kind of the nature of healing, right? Like, cause healing is kind of like a more essential fun, like, you know, at least kind of like, I think if you ran the numbers, it wouldn't come out this way, but at least in the way it feels right. Like healing is a more essential function, right? So like, you know, if someone's about to go down, I'm willing to burn, like 
I rarely like I play a cleric in in one of the two e games that I play, and I most commonly use that two action. Right, it gives me the flexibility to move. Um, I don't have to worry about accidentally catching you know an enemy in my thirty foot radius, right, and like healing them up. Um, uh, but like there'll be there'll be times when it's like, well, you're gonna die, and I don't have the action economy, so I need to burn, you know, the one action heal, um, in order in order to. Uh, in order to make sure that you stay alive, right? Or, like, it, it works out that way. I also have enough of them. Um, like, uh, I've got, like, four or five. I've got four or five of them based as a cleric at level, I'm, I think we're level eight now. Um, and so, like, it feels like you have the freedom. Whereas with Magic Missile, right, like, it's, like, it, it just feels like a waste um, if you're if you're burning, like, the lower, like, you, you want it, like, because, because, like you said, the functionality doesn't change at all. It doesn't have as, as, as that, that kind of, um, uh, uh, flexibility to it and it, i think it would work if like if, if somehow like it would be too powerful if it was but like cantrips are castable infinitely right so like if you had that kind of mechanic on a cantrip i think it'd be fine right because it's like well in the, on this turn i have the opportunity to um you know i have the opportunity to spend all three actions so i will but otherwise you know because that's essentially like striking three times right like it, it you know balances out differently I, again i don't think the math works here but i think like Figuring out how to make that work in that scenario, I think would would make the system work better. But I, I don't I don't know you know how how, how you do that in a way. Yeah, because that... there's a huge penalty to going strike strike strike. Right? There's that multi attack penalty. Yeah, it's minus five and then minus ten. Which is like, why would anybody ever like? Why would anybody ever do that? And I guess I get it because you you don't want people to just sit there and burn all three of their of their moves on a like on a single auto, but I or on like a just like a single full attack sort of thing, but like. So the funny thing, the funny thing is, I think the system that system works really well, right? Because it means that you really you know, like so the second attack isn't out of reach, and then like if you're one of the if you're like a fighter, that third attack, especially if you're like you know let's say you're going up against a bunch like a you know a big dude with a bunch of mooks, the third attack can as a fighter can probably hit one of those mooks, right? Like or, oh interesting, um, or at least it's like got like at least 50-50 odds of it. Um, plus there are other optimizations, right? Like um, like. Weapons with the agile property, um, you know, do minus one. You know, it's minus four, minus eight instead of minus um, instead of minus five, minus ten. Uh, what was the other th part of this that I thought that I thought was 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 clever? Oh, like um, big weapons, right? Like hammers have a backswing, which is if you miss the first one, the second one's only minus four, right? So you can probably get a hit in on the um, uh, on 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 a turn. Um, and it really it does discourage that third attack, but like, it's. The, the way it works out in practice is like you try and do something more useful, and if you can't, you're like, well, I'll go for the hail mary. And if you hit it, it feels like, hey, you know, I, you know, it's 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 not, you know, it doesn't feel as good as a crit, but it's kind of in that in that uh, uh, territory. And like I said, it makes more sense for the mar uh, in practice, it makes more sense for the martial character. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for the um, for like my character um, as a cleric doesn't have a lot of bonuses in, in, in that department. I'm under like you know, I'm not at uh, maximum bonus on strength. So I am almost never rolling that third strike. Instead, I'll try and do something like an intimidate, or I'll you know I'll cast a spell, right? Like I've got um another game I'm I'm playing a a I call affectionately a punch wizard, and like that's like perfect. Like you know if I'm next to somebody, I'll do a strike, and then I'll do a two action cantrip, which um uh forces a save instead of rolling a spell attack roll, and that those don't those don't you know stack the penalties, um. And, you know, like I think, I think that the system's super interesting in its ability to build that way. But ultimately, those are also rotations that I'm describing, right? So, you know, I, I, I think those, I think those, those filter in. Um, 
But uh, again, I'm thinking I'm going to roll back to this. I think this is true of kind of every game of this style, like any kind of like moderately crunchy game, right? Because I don't think we, I don't think we get games that are crunchy enough here or in, in this era to like make, excuse me, um, like make you consider, like have to consider enough factors that you choose something else on purely kind of like, on pure factors that wouldn't be apparent to you uh, from yeah, the I mean, even Star Wars is sort of this, right? Like, it is just mechanically superior. I was thinking about this. I, for a long time, wanted to go for a sort of hybrid, commandoized version of Omega. Omega has a third point in Brawn. I was thinking about raising that other point in Brawn so that he could also sort of melee. And I also have quick draw, right? So, like, he could quick draw out his pistols into a weapon and, like, swap to melee or whatever. But I was just kind of like... What a what a poor investment on a character creation level for something that would very rarely benefit me in actual combat. Like, when, when would it be more worth it for me to step into melee rather than to stay in short, plinking away with my double, you know, like, with my double guns? I'm essentially doubling the investment of experience points because I need to keep my melee stat, you know, and my brawn up with my agility and my whatever, light guns, um stat i would need to own a powerful melee weapon just like i owned a pair of powerful pistols just like all of these other sorts of things and and when, when i got into that situation right like even though that was sort of the fantasy that i had foreseen for myself it actually didn't make any real sense and the funny part is is the part it, it would have made a lot of sense in because in theory my in my head it was sort of a stealth thing like you know uh omega can can kill somebody with a knife you know or a or a vibro sword or something before they have a chance to react because part of his thing is like getting the drop on starting starting with stealth having these sort of like ambushes right um and uh and even in that scenario which we were just in in the heist it was just so clear that the right thing to do was to shoot the guys from range so i do think that i agree with you that it is like a more core problem and i think that it is a core problem that doesn't have this is part of my other thing with like rotations i think i do agree that rotations are ultimately pretty bad for DD and pathfinder but like part of that is because they don't have the this isn't a ding on rotations as a system it is just that rotations as a system are more complex in a computerized MMORPG than in a tabletop RPG and have so many more tools to make rotations interesting. So for instance, there's never you never have procs, right? In when I'm playing my arms warrior, I have procs that I need to keep aware of, right? I have specific numerical resources that I'm constantly like watching and making decisions about how I'm going to, you know, react to these sorts of things, right? When I'm at a certain amount of energy or I have a certain amount of rage, I'm going to make different decisions when I'm at a low amount of rage, right? I have cooldown abilities, right? With cooldowns that are going to come up and I want to time those cooldowns for very like specific windows. And I can't precisely time them because I know down to the second when they are going to like come up and stuff. None of those I have options for in D&D. There are no um pathfinder or dungeons and dragons versions of really any of those things um to be a to be as as fulfilling i guess a game system as a generic mmo rotation can be fulfilling not to mention by the way that there are different types of rotations that dungeons and dragons just can't even support right like i can play an assassination rogue which is all about applying bleeds and uh poisons to my target which 
is entirely impossible to play in D&D because there's really not a lot of support for dots, right? You can't have a dot spec in yeah, D&D yeah. the way that you can have a dot spec in an MMORPG. You can't have a proc, right? Like, Frost Mage is historically a very hardcore proc spec where you're constantly walking, watching to see where your procs are coming from and responding to the procs as they as they come out. You just can't do that in, in Dungeons & Dragons, which I think is a tough limiting factor and why the, the these rotations feel shitty, I guess, for like the, the worst affected players. I will say that I think, and this is something the guy says in the video, that like spellcasting, because it's such a limited resource, kind of gets away with, with this in a lot of ways, which makes sense to me. Because like your spells are very limited, you are constantly having to make that calculus of, do I burn my lightning bolt here, or do I wait for a better you know line that I'm going to really like sail it through, right? Like there's always another encounter that might have a more useful time for me to burn that lightning bolt. That's fair enough, but I feel like for a lot of these rotational characters, it is just rough. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you say there's no like dot spec, but like, I don't, there's no support for like going hard on it, but there are like dot like abilities in 2e, right? Like, so the way that bleed and um, there's a couple other abilities that work like it's called persistent damage works now is you apply the effect to an enemy at the end of their turn or on you if it's on you, is you roll the damage and then you roll a DC 15 flat check, and if you pass it, it the effect drops off but like you know i have i put bleeds on people a lot like that's like just like happens to be one of the things that like my cleric got good at it's like there's a spell that this reaction can apply it bleed to somebody um if you get like it's it makes sense for, for the character but like you know there are ways to, to get that but i think i think you're ultimately right right like you know you can't pop a uh, a buff that gives you 15 percent more damage because like you know you know Asking somebody to be like, oh, right, now calculate 15% of your damage and add it on top is like a, is, you know, a lift that, that, you know, and there, there are things that are like close to that, right? Like you can get like extra damage dice, but like you, it, it's essentially a little too great. You don't want to have too many things to track because of just the lift of, uh, of of tracking things in the pen and paper context. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what I mean about dots, right? Like in a true dot spec, you know, when I'm playing, um, like if, if I think about an assassination rogue, being played in Pathfinder, it would have all of these rules that would just be impossible to follow. Because not only... So it's three... It's it's not just one bleed. It's three. You have Garot... Uh, not Mutilate. Mutilate is the other thing. Rupture and Deadly Poison, right? All of those are on different timers, right? Garot lasts 18 seconds. Deadly Poison lasts 12 seconds. And Rupture lasts 24 seconds. And then, tw and then Rupture, you have to apply with combo points... Garot, you can just apply whenever, but it has a six-second internal cooldown, so you can't just garot, garot, you know, like, you have all of these other factors that you can, that you can kind of account for, and as a player, I can engage with these systems and find, like, a really, and also, every time, so, one of the core pieces of the assassination spec is that every time a bleed ticks on a target that is currently suffering from poison, right, you gain seven energy, right, so what happens is, you, you are filling your energy bar by having these bleeds constantly, like, tick over and over and over again, right? So you'd have to have additional rules that say, oh, well, when you're, you know, when your garot or rupture triggers, you're getting more, you know, like, you're getting more bleeds here. And this creates a really complicated, like, complicated but interesting rotation, right? If I'm in a Mythic Plus dungeon as a... As a, as a assassination rogue, I'm going to take a certain talent build that lets me apply three garots from stealth 
so I can get a garrot on three different targets. All of those will apply. I'll get poisons on all of those targets. And then I'm just swimming in energy for the rest of the, the, the trash pack because my garrots are ticking and I'm, I'm like constantly spam generating like the energy. Or I have a two target boss where it's like, okay, first I want to garrot rupture this guy. Then we're going to garrot rupture the second guy. And we're going to constantly swap back and forth, keeping, you know, keeping the dots rolling as we go. That, that stuff, it's just completely unsupported in D&D. And I think it is a limited a limitation of, you know, nobody wants to track that many conditions. Nobody wants to track that many, uh, you know, that many, like, incidentals, I guess I would call them, right? Like, these things that happen as triggered, these triggered things, right? They're not even actions. They're just triggered events that, that pop off at certain points. It would just become completely, you know, like, kind of completely unwieldy. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, and I, then cooldowns are also a weird thing in D anD. d Like you have this is something that Fourth Edition did that I think I think was very hard, and people really didn't like this, right? Where it was like I have certain per encounter abilities, I have certain per day abilities, and it's like managing those kinds of cooldowns is like a huge pain. Yeah, no, I but so we ca- they kind of have that in BF two, and I think it works fine. I think mostly because like they're not as universal and they're much more limited, right? Like. Your spells are essentially a per day ability, and um, there are like focus points. and uh, And D and D five E has this too, where it's like if you take a like a short rest in D and D, it's an hour. Um, in uh, PF two E, it's it's ten minutes. But like you can refocus and get your um, and get your get your short term abilities back, um, which I think works pretty okay. Um, just, there's not as many of them, so it doesn't feel like you have to keep track of them as much. Um, the other recharging ability is like, you know, roll a d6 on a 5 or a 6, you know, recharge the ability or whatever. Yeah. Um, which I think is smart from, like, like, clever rather from a mechanics perspective, right? Because, like, then you don't have to, like, you don't have to keep track of a cooldown. Like, you just, like, on your turn roll the die and if it, if it comes up. But it can be incredibly frustrating from, like, a... Um, from just like a usage perspective, right? Because if you roll it, like you know, if you roll like three ones in a row, you're like, "Well, fuck, I can't use my ability," right? Like, so um, that play, players have that ability. <clears throat> um, players have that ability because I know my, in fourth edition, which I agree, by the way, Phil in the chat says fourth edition best edition. Um, in fourth edition, uh, monsters had that ability, but I didn't know that it got to players because that's interesting. That's kind of like a proc in a way. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if uh, if I've seen it. I I, th- I think. I haven't seen that ability that I can use, but I thought I saw somebody at one of my tables be able to use one of those. Um, Interesting. Um, but it's it's definitely not like a core thing, right? Like it's like kind of it's an exception rather than the rule. Um, sure. At some point, um, uh, there was one other thing I, I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, I that I thought was that I that I thought was like not a great point from his from his perspective, which is um, his his claim that like. So I think he's ultimately so he's talking about like the combat versus the social encounter type stuff. I think he's ultimately right, right? Like that that PF uh, that the PF two E D and D family of games like ultimately is like most is very combat centric. I think there's no escaping that. Um, I think this is actually what kind of saves Star Wars the Star Wars FFG game is that like even though there's like like you know combat is like heavily rotational like we've described, most of the game actually isn't that <laughs> at all. Yeah, um, I agree with you a lot. Um, but I also the, think, uh, and I will, th- I also think there's a quirk of the dice, but we can talk about that in a bit. Finish your point. Yeah. So the other thing he said was that like c- social encounters don't matter because the system is so simple in terms of like, you know, 
roll a d20 add your for, or diplomacy to persuade somebody and like that just seems to be like so disconnected from the way that the people actually play the game like i, mean, I think i think it's perfectly fair to criticize it from a systems level perspective but again this is a thing that's been true for literally every version of this family of games forever and people have solutions like we we have a whole podcast about how we would solve this problem mechanically that we did like a couple of years ago that i, I you know we should maybe re-examine that just because i think it's an interesting topic to go over again but uh you know i i find that 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 criticism rings pretty hollow in in terms of like a thing that like makes the game bad right like a reason why i, why I would abandon it, if that makes sense yeah, I also feel that. I think I, I, I empathize with his answer because I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that um, a lot of people, it does make a lot of sense to basically ignore. Like, there was something that he talked about where there was the crunch in the diplomacy system, which is very fair, right? Which is like the, oh, I'm going to do this to introduce, improve his attitude towards us one step or whatever. And I just like, all that stuff is very, is like very rough, I feel like. Um,. But uh, I do think that I agree that, like, it's a very fair solution to just sort of wash your hands of it and say, like, you know what? Most of these social encounters are just going to be role-playing where we are going to be uh, kind of ignoring the dice, more or less. Maybe making some odd rolls as, like, skill checks, something kind of along those lines. But, like, for, for the most part, right, we're, like, not really going to be worrying about it. This is that, That's actually an interesting point to me because the thing that I thought was really interesting about... D D or I'm sorry, about Pathfinder Second Edition was like the expertise that one can attain in different skills, right? And um and specifically the way that it like do, how does how does exploration turn out in your experience with the game um in terms of like dungeon crawling, right? Like they talk about there's the social situations, the exploration, and the combat as sort of like the three modes of play. And the one that I thought was really interesting there was exploration, kind of like creating this like space for trap finding, for uh, skill checks, for all of those kinds of decisions to be made outside of the context of combat. So it's interesting because um, so I, so uh, the, apparently the popular opinion on the internet is the AP that I'm playing, uh, Age of Ashes, is uh, I think it's Age of Ashes. Um, it's the first AP. is a little bit overtuned um, and and lethal, um, but. Um, we there's the exploration element and we've been using those mechanics but it kind of falls into this trap that i found is pretty common with with kind of a lot of these search mechanics which is like it's like an up down check and if you make it you know if you make the check you're good and if you don't make the check you're bad and it and because it's all like preordained right like it doesn't feel great right like you know it's like yeah i'm you know you know the way it usually works out is like one of us is navigating two of us are doing various skill checks, right? Like, you know, somebody's, like, searching and somebody's, like, casting, like, detect magic. Um, and then, like, maybe somebody else is, like, you know, using survival to, like, look for, for something, right? And, like, those are neat decisions that you make, but you make them once, and then it's, like, you know, two weeks of game time that's just, you know, kind of, like, making the same checks over and over and over again. Um, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I remember I remember having a very hard time with this when I was designing dungeons for Hell's Rebels, right? Like, where I was, like, you can't, you it you can't you can never put something behind a skill check that if they fail they lose right right you know like you always have to be able to effectively clear the dungeon and get to the to the back of it um without 
without the danger of ever failing a skill check, which kind of turns all of those skill checks into this, like, optional thing, where it's like, and, like, I, I very vividly remember there was one piece of one dungeon that you guys never figured out. You got a hint for it, and maybe you investigated it, but it was just, like, it was, I think it was in the underground. Do you remember, like, that was that underground lair? Um, uh, it was, like, under, it was, like, partially underwater. There was, like, a, there was a thing, there was a safe somewhere where if you figured it out, you could swim down a hole, there's a safe at the bottom of this hole, you could crack the safe, get a bunch of money, something like that. And, um, and you guys got a clue for it, and you, you didn't follow up, or you whiffed the skill check, or whatever, and we all just moved on with our life, but because, like, nobody knows... Yeah, that's the thing. Is... You're, it, it's completely meaningless. And then it, and then it sucks for me, because it feels like... Man, like, I just, you know, I probably spent half an hour figuring all this shit out, right? Like, and the players whiff one check or decide not to, you know, think about what the cryptic note might mean or whatever and move on. And it's just like, that's, that part sucks. That really sucks. Yeah. And I wish that there was, like, a better way to handle it. And, and so, I, so I think this is interesting because, like, I think it's actually harder to accomplish well on kind of, so this is overland exploration that, that I'm, doing this right it's like the standard hex place exploration i think it's actually mm. harder to pull off there because it's like a much more macro level i think on the dungeon level you could yeah. do it right but you have to do it in places where people like you know you know what the issue is and i think the simplest version of this and this is also the most common version is you know if you make the perception check you get the drop on the enemy and if you whiff it you you know you enter combat immediately or maybe they get the the drop on you right if if the, that situation happens and i think that's i think a pretty good use of that the problem is specifically for PF2E, is perception is, like, very much directly tied to your, uh, buddy, you, you just, like, zoomed in, like, three times on your, on your camera. Um, what? What happened? Look, look, look at what, your... What the, what, what the, <laughs> what the, what the fuck? <laughs> what? What? Uh, anyway, um, uh, in PF2E, right, and I think in a lot of, the games perception is like not a thing that you have a lot of fine control over, right? Like, like it, in PF2E, it's very closely tied to your character. Um, like with your character class and you don't really get to, to bump that. You can't be like, I'm good at perception. There are a couple ways to tweak that, but like it's outside the core kind of like other skill, like other skills you have much more control over. Um, and it's much harder to build, I think, uh, encounters around that kind of thing, right? Like I think you could, right? You could be like, Oh, well, you could get into the next room if you climbed up on this ledge, but, uh, and you need to, you know, make, you know, somebody has to see that and be like, I want to do that and like make the athletic checks to climb up on the ledge because there's no ladder there or whatever, right? Like, um, and uh, I do think that this does, I think, that, I think that this works better than people think it does because I think it does actually come out kind of naturally, right? Like, um, something that's very common that kind of happens in this, this Age of Ashes game that I'm playing is, of the four characters, three of them have stealth, and my character doesn't. So my character will stand very still while everybody else fans out and does stealth, and then my character will do kind of like the, you know, you know, like, you know, hail citizen type thing, right? Like, and, like, engage the enemy, and then everybody else will jump out of ambush. And, like, that's built around our skill specializations, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, like, you know, something that, like, we know going into it, and I think that that kind of shapes plans more than people want to recognize it does, right? It's like, you know oh, if everybody has athletics, we can do the thing that lets us get the drop from the upper edge or the character that does have athletics can go do that. Um, uh, I think it's just a matter of having, like, maps that let you take advantage of it, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I forgot the name of the character again, but, like, um, you know, simming on the open plane just, you know, is, is never going to be interesting. 
Um, what's the character's name again? Plague Patchwork. Oh, Patchwork, yeah. Patchwork on the open plane is never. Yeah, Patchwork is is a famous boss from Nax Ramus in the original Vanilla WoW, who whose only mechanic was that he hits the guy next to the tank just as hard as he hits the tank, right? So essentially, when he hits one person, it auto cleaves his damage to the second to the second person. So there's no there's no mechanics for a DPS to worry about. They just sit behind Patchwork and they go hard. He also has a very short. He only has a five minute enrage timer, um, which meant that he was a gear check, right? Like you basically killed him or you didn't sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there are bosses who are now in WoW called Patchwork who are sort of like like that, but like they're far more complicated, right? Like Sludge Fist is a good example. Sludge Fist is the patchwork fight of uh, of Castle Nathria because he's like a big DPS check. Because uh, his enrage timer is also very short. It's also five minutes, right? Effectively. Um, but, like, there's way more mechanics on, yeah. on Sludge Fist than there are on, you know, on Patchwork. Yeah, no, and I, I honestly, I think that those, care, like, like uh, Wow's, I think, a slightly different story because, you know, it's 13 years old and this, it really is, like, core rotations. But I think for D&D, right, like, having a very kind of core, like, DPS down the enemy's fight is good. I don't think it's great for boss encounter because at some point it just feels spongy and then you really feel that deep, you know, like the rotations thing in there. Um, I think it's actually, I think it's actually a lesson we can pull from it, right? Like part of what makes the Patrick fight at least a little bit interesting is the short and rage timer, right? Like mm. I think, you know, carrying it over, you want these, these kind of like core fights where you're only doing the thing that your character is good at to be short. Right, you want them. You want them to be done in like three or four rounds, rather than being like. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a million times, right? Like, so many of those high-level encounters you guys were having in Hell's Rebels were not about just killing the enemy. We always talk about the rhinos at the end because I feel like it's the most evocative example. Yeah. But it's like, yes, if the goal of the fight is to protect a couple of very squishy NPCs from rhinos who are charging these, they're effectively an environmental hazard, right? right. But even there, I'm just like making up tons and tons of extra rules that uh this is this kind of comes into the be more creative thing yeah. that i do think is like shitty and patronizing or whatever and part of that is like those aren't the rules the rules of the game don't support this right like i had to effectively just create and rule zero in all of these extra mechanics to make up for the fact that high level combat was not incredibly interesting in like late you know late edition pf pathfinder yeah yeah and so like if you have to do that there is probably a problem in your system to a certain extent and um it, it is more indicative of the taking 20 guys point than it is a solution to his problem right, right. yeah no. um, I, I i agree and especially like just running things out of ap's is, is tough to do but like i i like I, like so i agree I will agree 100% that this is a this is a problem, but I don't think it's a problem that's unique to PF2E. Uh, and I think that's that's my biggest problem with it. It's like he like at least it came across to me as like a this is why I'm going back to D&D 5e. It's like well, D&D 5e has largely the same problems. In fact, I think I've got like mm. less I feel I feel more constrained in my my D&D 5e character than I do in my um PF2E character. Um, really that's interesting i mean see the thing i liked about dnd i haven't played either of these systems deeply but the thing that i liked about dnd 5e for the one shots i played at gen con was so much of the stuff seemed open-ended right like i played a version of gondor who was a conjurer um and conjurers have this like cantric ability to just like if you can imagine an object in a three by three cube essentially you can conjure that object I was constantly conjuring dumb shit, like, you know, like conjuring boxes, conjuring 
you know, whatever, just like conjuring stuff to temporarily help us with stuff. I feel like those sorts of open-ended mechanics don't exist in Pathfinder. Is that is that something you feel, or is that a misconception? So, so how often were you doing that in the middle of combat? Uh, that's fair. Rarely. You're right. I I, rarely. So I, I think I think there are similar things you can do. I I, I don't think there's a successful on the cantrip level. I actually think that this is a fundamental problem um, with kind of the the way the systems both systems are built. I think D and D five is a little bit better about it. Is that like if you're if you're splitting your spell casting between like utility and combat, combat's gonna win every time, right? Like. Um, and so, like, you know, like, the fact that it's a cantrip that your conjurer has, I think is really smart design. Um, and I don't think that I've seen, like, there might be some equivalent, but, like, the best thing you can do, I think, in PF, PF2E is, like, get to a high enough level where your first level spell slots are effectively who cares, right? And so you can put some utility in there. Um, which yeah. is not or a good solution. Or you make the decision to gimp your character. Like, yeah. you know, I, I do have a version... I did also play in another D&D game with, with Gunder where all of his first level spell slots were essentially out of combat utility spells. There's like friend, charm person, right? Like all that stuff. And I was the face of the party at that point um, with the only thing I could really do in combat be like cast like flame jet, flame... The, the cantrip. The, the, yeah, the, the, the cantrip, shoot a fireball. That's it, right? Like, you know, I don't know. I definitely do get that. I definitely do get that for sure. Do you feel like this is something um, that... Um, like you expect so okay uh to put this another way on the video itself paizo reacted and they they praised the comment they were saying we really enjoy cr cr constructive criticism thanks for you know laying out you know all this we have some more products that are coming out this year that we're hoping are going to address some of these issues do you like what do you want to see in those products in if they are re releasing a new book or a new whatever what do you think needs to be in that book in order to make the game uh stronger so honestly, I th I think that there's a good solution that's already out there that's already in one of the books. And it's the free archetype variant. Um, it screws with the balance a little bit, but like you give your players a free archetype and they get an archetype feat every other level. Your characters end up a little bit more powerful, but it's mostly just more options, right? Like I was calling this back when I think when we had the beta play test in our hands. I, uh, you know, if, yeah. if you remember, I said this like just like let your players pick a second you know, a, a second feat and you can get two trees instead of one. And then you've got like more, like, you know, yes. Yeah, no, I remember you talking about this actually. It's like, yes, it's two, you know, you're choosing between two of optimal DPR choices, but at least that's like a choice there, right? Like at least it like, feel, like, and I think there's enough wiggle room in the system that like, it's already not so bad, right? Like, um, right. Like whether or not I'm doing a grapple or a strike is a real choice that I make a lot on, on my, on my cleric, Right, and maybe this is weird because it's a cleric, right? As opposed, to, you know, and like I, my my math is a little bit fuzzier, and so it's not as optimal as the as the fighter, so it doesn't matter as much, um, or like you know whether I'm making an intimidate check or not, or you know what how I'm positioning myself, um, all that kind of stuff, like how how uh, how difficult it is to, to to do any of these individual things, um, like I think just like having a little bit more choice there, like adding adding in another like like the free archetype rule i think solves it pretty well um if like a way to canonize that a little bit better is a thing i i think would be a good way to bring it in um you know what this reminds me of is like uh we did this in a couple like mark did this in his game and i think i copied it into hell's rebels where we were getting a lot of um where we were getting bonus feats but the feats were from specific like 
you you would get like a pool and it would be only like non-combat stuff right you would get mm. these bonus feats that you could apply to social situations oh well no what i did was i gave everybody a free skill point but they had to apply it to, to a social. like a non-combat like social skill yeah, right yeah, yeah um and i so i think i do agree with you um that actually makes that makes a lot of uh that makes a lot of sense yeah i i'd have to like really look at at the um at the what's it called at, at the uh at the numbers to like figure out like if that's like a little too broken like if you're just like well i'm going to gish as hard as possible and i will be like a wizard sorcerer right and that just means i have a larger spell pool right like like maybe that like just get gets like puts you off the deep end a little bit too much but um uh uh but i i think i don't know how you how you build that in in a way in like in the later products like but i also think the later products will help with this because you're not just gonna have a larger pool of things to choose from um and uh, if you have a larger pool of things to choose from i I think that like it just helps if that makes sense right like um you feel like like i I think it doesn't solve the core problem of like iterative combat but i think it like at least i think it helps a little bit right like i i think i I don't know i don't i don't know what they what they what they could put in there to to make it work past that but i'm 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 excited to see it right like i i like the system a lot i think of all like i i think that like i think 4e is something different and uh i think it has its place but i think of all like i like 5e and i like 2e for different reasons but i do think that they're the best versions of the games that we've had so far right like i wouldn't go back to 3.5 um you want to go back to pathfinder first edition um the only reason i would would be just for like things that aren't 2e yet right like there's no there's no gunslinger like there's a gunslinger playtest, but like you know um and it's not like, you know, I'd be like, you know, if someone was like, you know, I'm running a 1E game and I, that was either that or nothing, I'd be like, no, you know, like, you know, throw a book at them or something. But like, I, I would. Um, yeah, I, I there's so much I still want to do in 1E. That, that's my thing with 1E is that I like a lot of these 1E classes and I have concepts, like character concepts for like, I want to play Shifter. I want to play Hunter. I want to play, you know, like all of these different kinds of, you know, characters. But you, you I guess I would have to either update them for when those characters maybe eventually maybe make it to Tui. I don't think that I don't think that certain of them will. I don't think a hunter will ever be playable in Tui, but Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think the hunter and the shifter are pretty well represented in the Druid and Druid. the and the Ranger yeah. just because they like they because you've got like, instead of getting everything on the Druid, you get like one of the three kind of main things for the most part. Yeah, and now you have like hardcore subclasses. Man, I have so many Druid concepts, which is funny because like in, in WoW, I really hate Druid. Like, Druid is my least played class. I don't I don't like it in really any of its specs. Though I do have a max level one just for farming or... Um, and in D&D, it's, like, the class I probably have the most number of, like, iterative builds for. Because, like, you, there, there is the wild, you know, like, the shape-shifting kind of Druid. There's the, the caster Druid, the ninth level caster Druid. Um... There's uh, the animal companion druids. I'm just like, there's just a lot going on in druid that is really fun in in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. So I so honestly, and it, like I I have similar instincts, but I have found that I mostly don't actually want to play those. Is I want to build them and imagine playing them and like maybe play them once for a session, right? Oh like, really? Yeah. Like I don't like I don't think like like any of my like you know, 300 dumb Pathfinder one character builds. Like, I think I would have fun playing them all through a campaign, but I don't think I need to actually, like, kind of, like, scratch that itch, right? Fair enough. 
like see i actually think to wrap this sort of all the way around i think that this is part of the the misunderstanding that people had a lot of people who were talking about like the illusion of choice were talking on this level they were talking on the character creation level they were like oh well you can build your character differently take different feats you don't always have to take the best feat that's going to add the most damage or whatever which is like you know, f fair enough, but that's not what that's not what Cody was talking about in his video. But I do actually think that it is elucidating towards a. It's elucidating kind of like towards what he's talking about a little bit, and why the systems that are frustrating him exist in the first place, right? Like I talked about that sixty nine percent earlier. The reason that exists is because it feels good to look at a feat and go, "Oh my god." That's really powerful. I'm going right. to select that. In the same way that it feels good to look at, you know, a Hearthstone card and go, holy shit, this would be perfect for my zoo deck, right? You know, like, and add that to the thing. Like, the, the act of making those choices in character creation is a really satisfying thing. And I think that's the reason that so much power is kind of in, in the game on that level rather than on the level of just flanking, right? Yeah. Um, because you want people to kind of create these builds and then reap the reward of those builds. I also feel you, by the way. Fail in chat says, first of all, Lou in chat says, we druids hate you too. Noted. <laughs> and then Fail in chat says, I remember building so many 4E characters but never playing many of them. I also know that feeling. But the thing is, is that as a DM, you can make those characters as NPCs, which I do yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and on it, like, honestly, I think that's like, like, so... It's funny because thinking about it, right? Like I enjoy my long-term characters for things that like, you know, are related to their class, but aren't necessarily like anchored in it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. like I could, I could, you know, make a, uh, you know, uh, like I enjoy say uh, Log, right? Like Log from the 4A game we played, right? Because of like who he is as a character. And he's made several return appearances um, in various yeah. and, sund in, in, in sundry ways. Um, and I can play a whole campaign as log, but that's not, you know, that is not solely tied to the fact that he was a 4E tree, tree or a, uh, uh, you know, like plant tree warden in 4E. Um, uh, like, you know, that definitely helped it. That definitely breathed life into the concept. But, like, he could have probably been, like, a druid of some sort, right? Or, like... Um, you know, some sort of like fighter with nature theming, which is what he is sometimes, right? Like, um, and yeah, that's a real problem that I run into a lot because I always want to reimagine my core characters like Gondor, Tonric, right? Um, and that's a problem that I run into with Tonric a lot because part of what I like about Tonric is one handing two handers, right? But the only way to activate that in a lot of systems is with mechanics that I don't like or enjoy, and that frustrates me. It's like I want to create the perfect Tonric, but I can't. Uh, because there's no good way for me to make his, like, the rules that I want to use for him legitimate, like, real. So, so what's what this mechanic again? Sorry? Uh, so, Tarnak's thing is Titan's Grip is, right. like, the Fury okay. Warrior, where you are dual-wielding two-handed weapons, right? right. So, like, a, a Paladin will have a two-hander, you'll have one in each hand, right? Um, and there are rules for that in Pathfinder 1st Edition... For a barbarian to do that, but I don't like the idea of Tonric as a barbarian because it's not really his thing. Um, and so it was just like kind of trying to find that like fantasy, even in a in a system as complex as First Edition, was just like freaking impossible. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I eventually figured out that Tonric was a slayer um, because there were certain rules about ranger 
like dual wielding ranger feats that let you dual wield bastard swords, which I was like close enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because part of it is that you have to be wielding a, a light weapon in your offhand, um, and you can't do that with like a two hander, right? A two hander is never going to be a light, light weapon, weapon or yeah. whatever. But the ranger has certain feats that allow you to ignore that problem that are or class features they're not even feats they're class features specifically and so um and so i picked i, I was like tanner would be a slayer because of that because he wouldn't have any of the nature shit that goes with ranger right like, yeah yeah any of that. yeah yeah no and i i I, def, I definitely feel you i you know i, I think part of it though, like at least for me part of it is definitely like because it's so hard to accomplish like figuring out the way to do it is at least for me like a, a supreme source of satisfaction right like the whole punch wizard concept was like a weird way for me to figure out how to like 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 it doesn't work if it's very easy to do for me to like enjoy it right it's, it's you know well <laughs> like the wizard can like like the, the whole punch wizard concept came came about because like it was like i just need to get like proficiency with a gauntlet and that like covers like because it's like a punch close enough to a punch and then like um this is like a weird PF one thing, but there were like a, there was like this armored skirt thing that like was a light proficiency and like had like some like alt, like you could substitute it on a piece of armor, but it technically had an ACP of zero, so using it on Tring didn't have any like real ill effects. So like it was just like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a wizard with this armored skirt that'll give me this plus one bonus, and that'll be you know that, that'll justify this whole character concept, right? Like, um. And it, it, it really didn't. But like, hey, I built it into I built this character in two. He's, he doesn't he, he uses mage armor, and like he just like stylistically wears his wizard robes with the uh, with the you know the top tied around his waist, um, and he just like punches you know because because uh, unarmed strikes are simple weapons now, so anybody can use them. Mm-hmm. But that's like you know that's like this is my kind of like good enough moment. It's like okay. The system isn't quite as niche and crunchy, so I don't feel as bad about not finding, you know, about finding the kind of like uh, thing. But you know, that's uh. yeah, and you know, and honestly, sometimes crunch for crunch sake is just like Colbjorn is this crunch for crunch yeah. sake, basically, right? Like it was just incredibly satisfying to play Colbjorn Foss, whose whole character concept was if I get a trip off. I have a zillion attacks of opportunity and it triggers all of these like, you know, ore, ore, ore attacks of opportunity. And that's his character, right? That's the way his character works. I bet a bunch of people, you know, like, I wonder if I were to look at some of like the really hardcore Pathfinder forums, if they were, if they would say that that's like a, the best build for a first edition brawler, right? Um, because I do think it's very high DPR, but it all, it all, if something is not trippable, Boy, yeah. am I hosed, right? Like, you know. Yeah, and and fail. You definitely should try PF two E. It's 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 a lot of it's a lot of fun. Um, but uh, actually, so this is a, this is a thing I saw in one of the videos that I thought was interesting. Is like, and I I don't I I don't think I can say I agree. I like my sense is that it's true, but it's that PF two E wants you to play as a party more than it wants you to play as your own character, right? So like, you want oh interesting right like you want to be doing a thing so that the rest of your party is more successful. Honestly, so I kind of like naturally like stumbled into this on my Punch Wizard character because fists are natural weapons. And so you need like um, like Magic Fang in order to, to enhance that. But like I'm a transmutationist, right? So I picked up, I have like Magic magic Weapon as a spell and I just cast it on the fighter, right? Like it makes much more sense for the guy two-handing the Bastard Sword to, to go, you know, get the extra dice. It's like, 
oh, I want to like make myself more powerful, but it's like, you know, it works, right? And like this, this happens too with 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 my uh, with my cleric, right? It's a lot of kind of like, you know, oh, I intimidate someone, or oh, I I grapple someone, because um, he's a hell knight, um, and that one of the hell knight orders lets you like use a flail to like grapple people. Um, it's 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 pretty cool. Um, that is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So like you know, I do that, and then like you know, the fighter and the rogue wail on the thing, and you know, everybody's happy, right? Like, um, and so like. My sense is that that's true. I haven't done the math, but I th- and I think that's kind of what what why part of the other reason why I want to push back on the math in in his follow up video. Um, not because I don't think he's right in a vacuum, but like, you know, a ranger and a fighter, as opposed to like you know a typical party of at least three, right? Like you know, there's 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 you know multiplying effects for those kinds of things. And I think the math gets fuzzy yeah. enough there that like, you know, maybe if I went and I did all the math, I'd find out there was a superior option. But it's not like it's not so obvious to me that it's a choice I feel I have to make. Yeah, I also, I do think I agree with this, because this is another piece I was thinking about, which is just that, like, um, <clears throat> in most fights, you don't have just, like, the two whites. <clears throat> I mean, sometimes you do. <clears throat> Fuck, sorry. But I'm thinking about, like, if I, of course, this is where I'm going to go with it. In Mythic Dungeons, a lot of the times, the groups are not just four groups of a thing, single mob, right? You have the this guy that does this thing, the this guy that does that thing, the this guy that does this thing. And as a group, right, like if you're a high-level Mythic Plus player, you understand, oh, okay, we need to focus down the this spellcaster first because for whatever reason, he's the most dangerous mob among this this pack of mobs. And so your decision-making isn't about casting Mortal Strike, casting Whirlwind, casting Overpower, right? It's not, my decision-making has nothing to do with my rotation. My rotation is almost in the back of my head at that point, right? Like, the decisions that are going made into what I, what button I am pressing. All of my decision-making when I'm at this point is, what target am I focusing on? When am I going to, you know, use my interrupt? When am I going to stun the target, right? And I think that that's a pretty fair piece of the puzzle that isn't that isn't necessarily like talked about um and as encounters get bigger and more complicated right like i think that there is a real decision that happens there's a real choice that gets made that kind of counteracts cody's point about the illusion of choice which is in a group of four little skeleton warriors and a lich in the back does the ranger attack the skeleton warriors or does he attack the lich Maybe he could, maybe the skeleton warriors are weak enough that he could one shot him. Maybe the lich is so is at range, so his melee party members can't get there, and so the uh, softening that target up for a little bit later is the right choice. I think there's a real tactical choice there, right? Um, and I think that in a lot of encounters, that tactical choice does exist, and that tactical choice has nothing to do with the, his rotation, right, or his rotational abilities. It is about where is the targeting for those rotational abilities going, right? What do we think the most difficult mob is? Where do we want to put your average seventeen point five five? dp dpr right as a kind of as a strategic choice that that actually does make sense to me and i think it's probably if i were to like push back hard it would probably be like the thing that i would want to push back hardest against um in the examples that he laid out in in his follow-up video yeah well uh i think i think we've pretty thoroughly been over that you know yeah and you know no we this isn't trying to, to, to trash it either, right? Like, I think he had some valid points. I'm not, like, I, like, no, definitely. I mean, I like I said, that 69% thing, I was like, whoa, that's huge, hmm. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, 
But let's uh, let's move to a race. Before we do that, though, I want to announce that at the end of the episode, I'll be giving away a key to Endless Space 2 for anybody who hangs around to the end. So hang around for that. Um, I probably should have announced it at the top of the episode, but I forgot. Um, <laughs> I probably should have put that in the announcement. We would have yeah. like, goosed our viewership. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have another game next week. So just as kind of like a, an insight for anybody watching, I have a bunch of Steam keys that are duplicates. So I will be slowly handing them out over... You know, the course of probably the next the next five years of this podcast because it's definitely going to last that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so uh, before that, how was how was your week, buddy? Uh, my week was pretty great. I did a zillion mythics. I ended up doing a ten chess on both Baron and Gonder, who has rapidly become my second most played alt i thought this was going to be my assassination rogue who i talked a little bit about like the reason i know all this stuff about assassination rogue is because my first alt in the expansion was of not warrior i have two warriors at max level um my first alt of the expansion was going to be this assassination rogue but then i started playing demonology warlock and demonology warlock is super dumb but like in a very fun way demonology warlock is kind of the punch wizard of like specs in the game if that makes sense um <laughs> because like because it doesn't work in a straightforward way i guess you know so for instance for baron baron's cooldowns look like avatar plus 20 percent damage for 20 seconds uh colossus smash your the target takes 30 percent more damage for eight seconds right ravager it just does a bunch of damage in an aoe and it gives you seven rage every time it deals damage right like very simple, straightforward things, right? The cool, the main cooldown for Demonology Warlock is Demonic Tyrant, which has a one and a half minute like cooldown, and it lasts for twelve seconds. But when it shows up, it extends the duration of all the demons that you have summoned by another twelve seconds, right? So it's like, what the fuck? How much DPS does that give you? And the answer is a fucking boatload. If you like do, if you, if you are summoning demons constantly, you have a million little imps out, you have a million, you know, you have a million, um, uh, they're, what are they called? Dread stalkers. Right. Um, and it's just like, <laughs> and then it itself does a bunch of damage, right? Like it shoots, like it shoots your guy. And then there are like talents for it. There's this one talent that says your demonic tyrant sucks 20% of the health of all of your active demons to empower itself how much does it empower itself who knows a lot right you put it in sims and it just like farts damage or whatever and then you start looking at like best in slot for this thing and it's like is the best in slot trinket one that you hit it and it gives you a bunch of intellect or when you do this thing it gives you a bunch of haste or when you you know one and a half minute cooldown you get a bunch of mastery which increases the damage of all your demons you would think those would be very good trinkets. No, it's the PvP tank trinket that increases the health of yourself, which also increases the health of your little demons, which also means that the demonic tyrant sucks more health out of your fucking demons. And it's just like, who the fuck figured this out? This, what the fuck is this? This is the most ridiculous spec in the game. I don't understand, but it's just like so dumb that it's insanely fun. Oh, and, and the best part of this, the best part of this, and the reason that I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. There's one talent that says, <laughs> it's a three minute cooldown. It lasts for 15 seconds. And it says, every time you spend a soul shard, summon a demon from the twisting nether to fight alongside you. What demon? Fuck. 
how much damage does it do? I don't know, but they're demons. And if you summon your demonic tyrant when those demons are out, they get extended for another 12 fucking seconds. So you get into these like just incredibly convoluted situations where I'm like rolling into a boss and the boss has like a damage phase, right? So in Mists of Tear to Scythe, the boss takes 200% extra damage for like 10 seconds when you like kill the first you kill the first boss he like applies the thing to the second boss big big damage amp right and the way that you do that dungeon is you save all your cooldowns for the damage amp so on baron i just the, that phase starts i pop avatar colossus smash and attack him right very simple on gondor it's like well i can't it's not i can't just summon the demonic tyrant that's not what that, that doesn't do the damage what does the damage is all the demons that he's extending the duration of so 15 seconds before the guy spawns, I do my demonic portal. Then I'm casting a bunch. Then I have to make sure my dreadstalkers are up. Then I have to put out my demonic tyrant. Then the damage ant goes up, and now I'm doing the DPS. And it's just like the level of complexity is like figuring out trade routes in Europa Universalis. It is like this arcane, just in, indecipherable math that I just find so compelling about it. So. I've been playing a lot of Demonology Warlock, and um, <clears throat> and I ended up doing, like, the the weekly was to do, like, four mythics, and you get a chest, and then I just stayed on Gondor, and we kept going. Uh, the interesting thing about all of this is, um, even though Gondor's lower eye level than Baron by quite a bit, Gondor's still using his Heart of Azeroth. He's at, like, eye level, like, 196 or something like that, um, or he was before. He might be higher level now. Um, I was actually putting out pretty comparable numbers to Baron, like about 33% less, but that's still, like, good DPS. That's, like, DPS that somebody would take into a, a plus 10 easily, right? Like, when I pug into plus 10s, I tend to be the top DPS doing about 4K, 3.5K DPS. Um, and so if somebody walks in and is doing 2.5K DPS, that's normal. That's pretty, like, straightforward. And it was funny because just, like, I think, honestly, all that comes from is I have this mastery of the dungeons from Bairn, right? Like, because I have run a million fucking mythics on my other character and i understand these dungeons so well um i'm just like able to eke out additional just like additional numbers and additional you know stuff i don't know it's it's crazy demonology warlock though really fun i didn't even talk about the 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 aoe spell for demonology warlock yeets your your boys because most of what you're doing is you're summoning little imps and then the imps shoot their fireballs, right? But then you have a move called Implosion that throws all of your imps at a target and then it explodes in a radius and does a bunch of AoE damage. And what is the math to an imp shooting its firebolt versus being yeeted? I don't fucking know, but I know that if there's a bunch of imps up, it's probably worth it for me to implode them. Oh, anyway, how, how is your week? How's your life going? It's been good. It's been good. <laughs> now, while you were going this, I was thinking like, you know, Maybe an episode to do at some point in the future is to like get the vod from one of our raid attempts because because Ray streams them right and like like mm -hmm. I think it'd be interesting to like go over like you know, we managed to clear heroic um, Sun King right that's that's what it's the, the encounter yeah. called um, this week and like we went through the process of uh, uh, and by we I mean mostly you know the the guild leadership went through the process of figuring out how we would actually get this down I think that that'd be an interesting thing to go over um, 
Although maybe like hearing the increasing levels of despair in Syrian's voice would not be would not be <laughs> a great thing to do. Uh, I was talking about this with Syrian. Just to subtweet my very good friend Syrian, I was talking about this with Syrian the other day, where he was talking about how mad he was, right? That we got down Artificer in heroic the week before, and then we went into Tuesday and we weren't able to down him. We had to like wait until the next, the next Thursday. And I do understand how that's like intensely frustrating, but for me that's just like heroic rating in a nutshell. You know, first of all, we have a lot of people that don't do both nights. You know. So, like, Thursday people, we had different tank setups, obviously. Um, and so I went into that fully expecting a lot of wipes to feel like this was progression. But there's that feeling of, like, when you get a boss down, it's down. You have this boss on farm. You'll never have to worry about this boss again when it's like, no, no. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> Especially when you get it down. I'm pretty sure our first uh, heroic... Zymox kill was very dirty, right? Like, most of the raid was dead. It was just, like, a couple of people up, like, eking out those last couple of points of DPS, right? Like, yeah. yeah. No, and I, I feel like I feel like Sun King's going to be a pain in the ass just because, like, you know, I couldn't tell you exactly, like, how we got that down. I couldn't tell, you know, like, what I do in, like, most of the fights, very simple for me to follow, right? Because a lot of it's, like, stand on the boss and hit them very hard and, like, do the mechanics, sure. right? Like. Just like the, the sheer, like, you know, you're talking about with this demon, all these stuff, the complexity of, like, well, I need to zip over here and kill this ad, and, like, did we push the Sun King into, like, his shade phase fast enough or, like, you know, slow enough to, like, you know, get the right set of ads up so that we're not all, like, you know, like, in some of the fights where, like, you know, we, we would push him into a shade phase when there were a bunch of those little guys up. I was just, like, losing my mind trying to clean up these little things and, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, and it's funny, the, I think these encounters are very well designed, the design of that fight where, like, if you have those little guys up are actually the most threatening of the ads. You would think the assassins, right? Or, like, the vanquisher, which is, like, the like the tank mob. Like, those would be the dangerous guys. Like, no, 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 no. Those guys, you clean up just fine. You just pull them right to the boss. It's the little bitches. Because I remember I pulled up my... I had my meters running. And I pulled up details. And I was just like, man, it felt like those guys were just, like, free casting across the room. And I was like, holy shit. The amount of free damage these guys did to us just because we couldn't get them down before we pushed into shade, and then we made the call to just, oh, ignore them. They're tiny little imp, imp bitches. Who cares, right? Like, and, and beca that, that because the range, really they don't move, right? Like, you can't, you can't yeah. pull them into. Oh, jeez. Like, oh. I'm. And it, is, it is a super interesting fight too, though, because like it's not like you lose. It doesn't feel like you lose by wiping. It feels like the room fills up with ads, and you can't deal with them anymore. It's just like, well. We're all up, but we're not going to be able to recover from this. Just stand in the fire, right? Like that. Yeah. It's it, it definitely feels like the most unique fight in 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 that sense. Um, yeah, I also feel like there's a lot of that fight that's interesting when it comes to target priorities. I very rarely was listening to the callouts for like, oh, go do this thing. Like the only really one of those I ever really respected was infusers, just because I theoretically think that it is incorrect to have that kind of high priority mentality. I mean, I explained this during the fight. Have that high priority mentality when a lot of our group are melee and um, and we need to be applying even DPS, right? Because there was one where. I basically, we basically all came off of Garethos, the, the big high torturer guy, and he stayed up super long, and I was just like, this is clearly wrong. Like, we need to have one person who was just sitting on Garethos, fo focusing him down. And so for the rest of the encounter, I just hard sat on Garethos the entire time, and I never swapped to any other ad until he was dead, because just like, you gotta kill him quickly. And I think in a perfect scenario, we would probably have, like, more specified, right, like, you guys are the this group. You guys are the that group. You got to switch, you know, here or there so that we are managing, like, the ad's health better. But 
What yeah. Do do? Yeah. No, and, and, you know, just like little, like, you know, like, oh, you know, we need to move to the assassins when they're returning to stone. Otherwise, they're going to gen health five times. No, I remember you called that out, and I was sitting there DPSing the assassins with you, and I was like, I feel you, buddy. I'm right here with you. Because <laughs> I was just watching it together. I was like, I'm not going to get it done. I'm not going to. Oh, uh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I, I will say, though, I feel good about having my high level um, ring of touch with death in that scenario, because, like, every minute it's like, that's like another, that's another ad dead, right? That, like, you, yeah, you, don't... you know, honestly. That's very true. That is an incredible legendary for that fight. So yeah. good on you. And only that fight. Like I, I noticed that all my other parses went up greatly when I switched to the you know the right legendary. I felt very, mm-hmm. very frustrated that you know I had to. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's you know. Hey, yeah. I wonder how it would go on uh, on Houndmaster because Houndmaster mm-hmm. has the ads. Technically, you can get some touch of deaths. In. So I I I've because. Because I've compared the two, right? Because I've I've done Houndmaster okay. on, on both of them. Um, the problem is, is like in the Sun King fight, they're all a lot of like low health minions. So like it's mm-hmm. so in order to make Touch of Death like really worth it, you have to time it. You can't just use it. So you can you can activate it at fifteen percent or at when it's at lower health than you. And if you activate it at fifteen percent, it does a third of your health, right? So that's like a two thirds DPS. Oh, so you literally have to kill it. Yeah, well, you have to kill it to, to, to maximize the utility on it, right? Interesting. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, in 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 normal fight, like, you know, in the in the Huntsman fight, I can sometimes time it, but it's also a hard thing to time, right? Like, if I'm off by one GCD, it'll be dead before I, I get the chance to cast it. And at that yeah, point, it's... you only have 40k health or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like 30, it's like 35 all buffed up, right? Like... Um, you know, there was part of me that was thinking like, maybe I should buy stat food at some point just to like pump that number up. But like, um, it is, it's, 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 it's a legitimately, at least for me, hard thing to, 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 to time, right? It doesn't matter as much in the little guys. One, cause like in the Sun King fight, right? Like there's oftentimes where I'm the only person hitting it. And so I've got like heavy control on that. Um, but like if I miss one in the Huntsman Ultimate fight, that's like, you know, that's like, you know, a quarter of the power of my legendary for that fight just gone. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I get that for sure. Um, so uh, I and and you know the, the haste really actually feels really good. Like the, that was the thing that I wasn't expecting. Like you know I pop the the I pop Zuin and it's like and like especially if it's overlapping with like either one of my troll bursts or like the um or like the the bloodlust the bloodlust. It's just like I'm just like it's just like you know flying in terms of like, like buttons just like get hit it's it feels great i'm actually kind of interested that you play it's funny when i'm talking about demonology warlock is it's just like insanely complicated spec for the game um that you play windwalker monk because i think windwalker monk i wouldn't call it simple but it is more straightforward than the kind of overcomplicated mess that something like yeah demonology warlock has it it feels like a rhythm game to me more than it feels like uh yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I enjoy that, right? Like, um, and it's more about because you, because you have to be hitting things on the moment in order to be maximizing your defense. Like, I've had times where, like, I'll be like, like, you know, I've got my weak course up. I'll be like, oh no, which button do I like? The, the biggest decision I have to make is whether I'm hitting um, a, a cheese spender or a cheese generator. Um, mm-hmm. And some, and usually I'm, I'm like pinged on one of those anyway. So it's, it's not like it, you know, I've got like a, a huge choice. But like, the challenge there is making that choice in the moment in time, right? So that I'm maximizing my throughput. 
Oh, interesting. So it's like hitting a perfect note, right? Yeah. You see the note coming up, but you have to hit it on time, or else you're wait. You know, you don't have any like. Yeah, no, you like, don't have time to waste. And I need to make sure you know. I need to make sure that I'm inter interweaving them right, so that like you know, it's like, you know, I don't want my energy to max out because if my energy max out, that's energy I won't have to spend later, right? So like you know, it's it's and it's like there's like a lot yeah. of little decisions there. Um, I find that fun. the other big the other big thing that I struggle with when I, when I look at it is like I'll hit buttons too soon on like on my either my spinning cheek kick or my um, fists of fury I'll like miss the last tick on it because I'm too too eager to hit the button so you know it's it's kind of like you know again rhythm action thing it's like you know you know hold the button until it's it's done before you switch to the, you know you switch to the next thing but I actually do super feel that it, the arms warrior is interesting and I like the rotation a lot because it is about managing that level of rage so like um, there are it's like you want to hit mortal strike on cooldown. Then you want to use excess rage on slam, but or and you also want to keep like rend up on the target or whatever. So it's like a sixty bank rage of things that you're gonna need your like rage for. So a lot of my decision making is watching my swing timer as I'm like, okay, I'm about to get an influx of rage here. Is this going to a mortal strike? Am I gonna get above this? Am I gonna use a slam? Am I gonna use an overpower? Because um, like overpower is a free GCD. It doesn't cost rage, right? But it is weaker than a lot of my other abilities, right? And I would rather, if given the opportunity, right, hit a mortal strike or a rend over an overpower, right? But then sometimes I'm thinking like, boy, I'm pretty thirsty when it comes to rend. Uh, rage so maybe i'll hit overpower here then use mortal strike see if it resets overpower and if that happens i'm actually dps up because i got an extra proc of overpower like those kinds of decisions are happening like all this sort of time which i think is what makes arms interesting compared to like um like fury is like the go 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 spec right fury is just like hit all your buttons hit them really fast hit them as hard as you fucking can and then rampage and it does lots of lots of damage and like there is thought that goes into that because um Fury, your Fury's mastery is about enrage. So if you are enraged, you deal more damage. So enrage is like forty percent extra damage, something like that, right? And so you want to use weak spells when you're not enraged, and strong spells when you are enraged, obviously, um, so that you're not using like raging blows. The example of this, you're not using your raging blows when you're not enraged, and you're paying attention to that kind of thing. But like that just feels a lot more straightforward to me to play through than. Um, arms warrior or like assassination rogue or like um you know god forbid demonology warlock the demonology warlock thing is like i really stumbled into this because like gonder in kind of an rp scenario is a demonology warlock right like that's part of his that's part of his like backstory and character and so i do in general like matching the character to their sort of like in-game spec if that makes sense um, and I just sort of happened to walk into this spec and be like, no, this is actually super dumb and also very fun. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely get that. Um, otherwise this week, what did I do? I, uh, I, uh, I played a little bit more Death Stranding, you know, Uniting America. That game is like, so like, so indescribable, like in terms of just like how weird it is. <laughs> it's like, like. I, I, like I can't I can't believe he named the character Die Hardman, and like <laughs> it's just like and like it's just like it's like like the the you know it's like oh yes or like the character's called Dead Man who's a different character right it's like ah yes I used to be it's the face of Guillermo del Toro with a different voice because he didn't do the voice acting <laughs> and it's like ah yes 
I'm a doctor. Actually, I'm not. I'm a cor- I'm an ex coroner. But that's why they call me Dead Man. Just like what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what is that? And, it's, and then and he's like, Ah, oh, yes, I need to, I need to take your you know, it's you know, there's this baby in a jar, and it's like, I, and Norman Reedus doesn't want to throw it in the trash, and it's like, Diamond's like, Okay, well, I'll deal. You know, I'll take care of it. And then he's like, he's like, at some point, he's like explaining, like you know, Ah, oh, yes, his, her mother is in in the capital with me. It's like. Her, her mother, or, or it's its mother. It's like, yes, the still mother. She's dead and the baby's alive, but she needs, he needs to return to his mother's womb every once in a while. You know, you have to synchronize her womb with this capsule you're holding. And and then, like, you hook into it and you, like, flash into its eyes and you see Mads Mikkelsen, right? Like, it's, it's like, it's like, BB, don't worry. I hope daddy loves you. And it's like, what the, what the fuck? What the fuck is happening? And... <laughs> Another part of this is like, you know, like some of it's just like intentionally obtuse, right? Like you flash into its eyes, you see Mads Mikkelsen and like you hear what he's saying, right? But then Norman Reedus' character tells a different character that he can't understand what that character is saying. And I don't know if he's lying to like, you know, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to keep it under wraps, but it's not like it's anything difficult. It's like, wait, am I like, you know, is the, does the, is the character unaware? And this is like, you know, like a dramatic irony. That's the right one, right? Dr- dramatic irony where the, the, the viewer mm-hmm. knows more. It's like. Is it supposed to be that type of situation? Or, like, just, like, so the, 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 I told you last time we talked about this, that one of the early missions is you go and burn your mother's body, right? Like, yep. in the incinerator. Like, she's the president of the United States of America. It's, like, another part of this. But, like, <laughs> like, this is, like, a, revel- this is, like, the, like, an inverse dramatic irony, right? Because this is a revelation to me, but, like, apparently... Norman Reedus' character, who's Sam, this is his name, um, knows this, right? But he doesn't, like, react to it. But then, like, they get back, he, get, he gets back from that mission. And uh, Dead Man's like, you know, oh, you have to go clean up and then meet the president. It's like, the president's dead. I just burned her body. And Norman Reedus says this. And then Dead Man doesn't explain. It's like, go wash up and meet the president. It's like, what the fuck? And then he walks in and it turns out it's a different, it's a, it's a different character. But it's like... A normal person would ex- just explain that, right? Like we, you know, we. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember we talked about how Hideo Kojima is like, you know, like a gaming auteur or whatever. Like, uh, and somebody, I guess, maybe compared like Death Stranding to the prequels. It's just like, listen, the prequels have a plenty of dumb shit in there, but like, but, but it is mind-boggling these things. I ought to, even on just a world building level, I can't even like take some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean seriously, and I need to play more of it because apparently more of it gets explained, and then you get like plenty of codex. But like, the comparison isn't to George Lucas. The comparison is to David Lynch. Like, oh, hello. <laughs> like that, that's got to be it, right? Like you know, like yeah. And you you can you can pick out other other I think auteurs in the space, right? Like you know, um, uh, in the gaming space, I think, right? Like. Uh, uh, but like, it's, Hideo Kojima is something special, um, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing this game. Um, okay, even I've got a, a piece of great news for you though. What? Are you ready? Did you did you know? Did you know? Mango. What? Mango. Did you know? Total Total War Warhammer Three is coming out oh. this year. Oh. <laughs> Wait, did you watch the trailer? I did. Because uh, because somebody posted in the chat and was like, oh my god, Cathay. And it's like, ah, there's going to be Cathay in this trailer. And it's literally just like a half second. It's like I'm like watching these like Russians fighting these demons, which is fine. It's like, so when are when are when are the you know the Chinese X going to come in? It's like, oh. 
Um, or like yeah, I'm, no, that it, it mirrors the Skaven if, in the Warhammer Two trailer. The Skaven aren't announced. They're like not you. You have Lizardmen fighting Dark Elves fighting High Elves, um, and then at the very end, there's like a thing and there's like a rat or whatever. But part of the in-universe thing about the Skaven is nobody believes the Skaven are real yeah, in the yeah. Empire, um, which was like honestly like a marketing ploy for them. People were always talking about Skaven, and then like this the CA person, the Creative Assembly person, would be like, Skaven, Skaven aren't real. <laughs> they're, they're not coming. <laughs> And, um, which, you know, I get that's funny yeah, yeah. sort of thing. But the thing that I found incredible at that trailer, and this is, like, what a feat these games have made in, like, cultivating a community or whatever, is he does the thing where he reveals that Cathay is on the map, and then he looks at the camera and is like... <laughs> you know, like, he grins at the camera, and it's like, he's talking to me! I, I'm the person that shit posts. About Cathay not being in Total War Warhammer 3. We all thought it wasn't going to be in there. We were convinced that it was not going to be in Total War Warhammer 3. Like, all, so many YouTubers were at, put out videos that were just like, no way Cathay is in there. Cathay is just as like a, like a piece of far-flung world building. It's not in any of the books. There's no army roster. There's no, there's no nothing, right? Um, and there was like the Slim Hope... Oh, the Vampire Coast didn't have an army roster, but they made them into a DLC. Like, oh, Norsko didn't have an army roster, but they got a DLC. That's not quite true. Nor Norsko half had an army roster. Um, and, uh... Yeah, I mean, it, it, <sighs> in retrospect, like, the existence of Three Kingdoms, I think, should have been a, a bigger tell. Like, not that I was paying attention, but, like, you know, just, like, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, they're going to use the Three Kingdoms models. And, like, that's, like, you know, how, how you get, like, you know, six, you know, somewhere between 30 and 75% of the way there. I think that'll be the interesting thing is, like, how much of the army list is just, like, straight lifted out of Three Kingdoms. Uh, I actually don't think it's going to be that, to be honest with you. I think the core thing that made Cathay hit here is the optimizations that they put in. They spent uh, one DLC cycle um, not putting out a DLC, right? They, You know, the DLC cycles are, like, three or four months kind of thing, right? Um, where you just expect to have a new lord pack, a new race pack, something like that, a new campaign pack, whatever it is. Um... And they once took one and they said, listen, our next patch is not going to be uh, a race pack. It's not going to be a lord pack. It's not going to be any pack. It's just going to be, a, you know, a, an optimization bug fix pass. We're going to take a lot of time to, like, sort through this stuff. And the thing that they figured out there was a way to supercharge the end turn timer. Where, like, the end turns used to take, like, two and a half minutes, three minutes maybe, where you're just like, sitting there and people were complaining about it all the time. That takes like 30 seconds, right? Which, you know, sucks in a certain mm -hmm. sense, but like... It's better. It's just so much faster. It's just so much faster now. And the thing that they always cited as the, the reason they couldn't go huge on the map was turn timers, right? If the map gets big, turn timers get huge. They just balloon out of control, right? And I think when they made that like the optimization in warhammer 2 they were like oh we can make the we can make the world map much bigger in warhammer 3 and we're going to we're going to add Cathay, right that that is my tinfoil hat i have no evidence for this besides mm -hmm. just an inner understanding of i guess like game design and what they've talked about but that's what i think was the, was the reason i think otherwise we would have just gotten like kisla we would have gotten uh yeah because there's space there's space on the current map for a little bit of the Ogre Kingdoms, a little bit of Dark or Chaos Dwarfs, um, which are also probably coming. Maybe as DLC, maybe as a pre-order bonus. People think that 
Chaos Dwarves or the Ogre Kingdoms, because they currently fit in the Warhammer 2 map, might have a Norska situation where they get added as the pre-order bonus for... Or, or they're like an NPC race initially or something like that. That yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. Until they flesh them out. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, also, like, the, so the, I think the third explanation for Cathay is the very cynical, right, you know, uh, you know, appeal to the Chinese market type stuff, right? Oh, yeah. You I'm know, sure that was a selling point, yeah. obviously. Yeah, no, I, I think there's probably all three of these in there, right? Like, you know, yeah. the text there, the models, some of the models are there, um, and, you know, the Chinese market type stuff. Um, yeah, I also think they got a lot of support out of Games Workshop. You can really tell the creative assembly and the success of the Warhammer franchise in or the Total War Warhammer franchise has been pretty huge. Creative assembly, or I'm sorry, uh, the Games Workshop is bringing back Warhammer Fantasy Battle, which changed to Age of Sigmar. Which people didn't um, like, I think. Yeah, like the End Times was a huge thing. They basically put a, an end to the current continuity and then they released Age of Sigmar, which is just like a whole new set of things. They are now saying they're going back and they're making a thing called The Old World, which is essentially set at the exact same time as the Warhammer, like the Total War Warhammer series. And you can tell, like, Games Workshop just must look at this game series and been like, these guys are like the driver of our IP right now and we kind of have to respect them. Same thing true for Vermintide, um, I think, as like the other big Warhammer game that's like huge, huge right now, um, comparatively. Oof. I wonder. I wonder how you know who on what side looks at Blizzard or Blizzard looks at them and it's like this could have been us, but you play in, right? Because like that was the whole War Warcraft Starcraft thing, right? Like that's 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 yeah. That's... No, absolutely. I almost sort of wonder if um, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I think as much as I love obviously like Blizzard or whatever, I think they kind of lost the strategy game zeitgeist with, by focusing on multiplayer, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. StarCraft Two has petered out into basically nothing, and the major the, strategy I don't know, I don't, players on the market. I was gonna say I don't know if you saw this, but um, the OGN arena shut down. Um, Monte Cristo tweeted about it. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, it's it's nuts. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Can go on. Yeah. Like, and so you know, there's just I and I actually kind of get that for StarCraft. I think StarCraft was fun in its earlier iterations, but we kind of optimized the fun out of StarCraft because once it kind of became clear that the thing that made you better at the game was cramming more APM, right? Being able to just force more actions into your gameplay. And that's what created the highest level of, like the highest echelon of players. I just think that it, the, the whole game bottomed out, right? Because like, that's just not a super fun goal to go towards compared to, you know, other sorts of goals that gamers have in games like League of Legends or WoW or any other sorts of PvP kind of titles, right? Yeah, and I, I, I think that a big driver of the success of esports is the kind of like, and I don't think it's exactly this, but it's like the dream that one day that could be you. And when it's like when it's a physical skill cap, um, you know, that's uh, you know that, that that makes it out of reach, right? Like, like I don't I don't think people watch esports for the same reasons. I mean, maybe this is, you know, self-selection bias, right? Like, I don't watch League as much as, nearly as much as I did when I was playing it. Um, but, like, I still, you know, this is the other thing I did this week is I watched the Super Bowl uh, or the big game as the euphemism goes. Um, but, like, you know, I don't, like, I, I occasionally would play pickup. I haven't played in years. But, like, you know, I don't need to do that in order to enjoy enjoy the game. But I, I feel like, I feel like esports are kind of inscrutable in a lot of ways. You need to be doing something adjacent, right? Like, I enjoy watching... Um, Guilty Gear uh, uh, fight like when I one year I went to Evo I watched I watched the Guilty Gear finals I thought that was super fun um, and but part of it I think came out of the fact that I at least played Street Fighter and knew what I was you know knew what I was looking at um, 
Yeah, I already had a, I had a very easy like at BlizzCon we watched StarCraft, which was a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm obviously very aware of StarCraft, but like not on a competitive level, right? Like I've played mm. StarCraft the single player a million times, but I basically haven't played multiplayer since 2010, right? Like, um, but I do sort of wonder if like Blizzard or whoever at Activision makes these kinds of decisions would like ever look at it and be like, what if we just made you know a campaign sort of like an open-ended 4x strategy game like Civ or like you know Stellaris or something like that inside of the Warcraft or Starcraft universe I think people would go nuts for that but you know yeah I think I think Warcraft has a better chance of that happening because Warcraft ladder wasn't like I feel like if you tried to bring like Starcraft without the multiplayer like people would be screaming for blood like um just because I, I don't think that like it uh like I don't think you can have like I think Starcraft is so tied to that I think I think Warcraft, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would be happy with a Warcraft, like, bigger game just cause, because, like, these are the type of people who liked War, War, Warcraft 3 but don't like WoW just because it's, like, not their yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I almost wonder if they could do pull off something like Total War Warcraft in a way where mm -hmm. it's, like, agnostic of time, but you have orcs, trolls, all of these different factions, right, with their, with their own sorts of... Um, uh, things, but it is not you. You are not playing through the Warcraft timeline. You're just kind of putting all of these groups in a in a unit together and saying, "Oh well, maybe you're gonna play the orcs with Garrosh in control, or you're gonna play the orcs with Sourfang in control, or you're gonna play the orcs with Thrall in control." And they're all gonna have different sorts of, you know, whatever. Because I think that's a huge part of the success of these strategy games that you know we're referencing. It's like this ability to really. Um, particularize your playthrough at launch, right? Yeah. yeah. In the StarCraft single-player games, you are ultimately locked to that narrative, and you can play through that narrative in a couple of different ways, and you can build, you know, like... I, I like the choices that are on the table for, you know, Legacy of the Void, Heart of the Swarm, Wings of Liberty, obviously, but it's just, like, way less. And playing a game as Wood Elves is just so different than playing a game as Warriors of Chaos or as the Empire or as Dwarves or whatever else, right? And I sort of wonder if that would be, like, something that they could kind of, like, capitalize on or figure out yeah. in some way. Yeah, I, I think a big part of this, too, is that just kind of, like, that style of RTS just kind of died, right? Like the, um, yeah. you know, like the, the, the multiplayer kind of, fo you know, like like the skirmish-based, I guess is what I'd call it, um, I guess died in favor of MOBAs, um, maybe because they're more accessible and you don't have to worry about, like, it's like all of the RTS stuff, but without, like, needing to worry too much about, like, resource generation or that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But who knows? I just had a brain flash that like it'd be cool. Like, have you ever have you heard of like Savage and Savage Two? These is like the mm. the Han precursors. Here's New Earth precursors. Okay. Um, yeah. so the the big conceit of that game, those games, is that like you had a bunch of players playing like a basically an action RPG on the ground, but then one player was the commander and he was basically playing an RTS. It'd be neat to see something like that in WoW, where like one player is like playing an RTS and then like the like. Like, and he's got, like, control of, like, minions and you can set objectives. But, like, the big, powerful, you know, hero units are actual, like, WoW players. I think it would be something neat. But, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, a realistic thing to, to, to see to see happen. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure somebody I'm sure somebody at Blizzard has thought of, thought of that. Because, like, that, that seems like an obvious thing, right? Like a, Yeah, it seems like we're getting more and more of that kind of thing, too. Um, I feel like it would be really neat to sort of have, like, a game master. You could do this with dungeons, maybe, or something like that. Maybe you could do it with Torghast, right? You could have, like, a player who is, like, in control of the Torghast wings and can set up the, you know, the things, and then the players are playing through it. That might be interesting. Yeah. No, I, so I think that I also think that's interesting, but, like, the thing I'm talking about is, like, imagine, like, a PvP map 
but like one oh, oh, one okay. player on each side is like you know doing like doing the RTS stuff because like the, the the thing that I think is like super kind of like depressing is like they built these like very complex battlegrounds and like a lot of them are just kind of like zerg the zerg the objective and, and do it and then you'll then you know then we'll win right like uh, like Alterac Valley feels very much like that and so does um what is, what is that um the the Warlord to Drainer one um uh the Big Island just feels kind of like it feels kind of zergative at least to me um there's all these mechanics that don't get used ever um, mm, yeah yeah but anyway uh I don't know the only other thing I did this week was like I said watch the Super Bowl um Tom Brady won again uh nerf Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm not. It makes me sad. But it was also. It was like not a great game. I assume you didn't watch it. Uh, I did not. I did not at all. I didn't. I was running Mythics the whole time. No, and, probably better you uh, see them. I understand that Tom Brady. I guess is like the best football player ever. People are comparing him to Michael Jordan now. He's got more rings. He's got more. Tom Brady has more rings than any individual football franchise at this point. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because Steelers have six, right? And he has seven. Yeah, I think another team has six as well. But yes, he has yeah. he has seven. Um, yeah, yep. I only really know the Steelers because my mom is from Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he has, he has seven. He has seven rings. Uh, it's interesting because I, I live in New England now, and like he's like you know he got six of them with the Patriots, and so yeah. it's like I've seen two sets of reactions. Like one, he's still our guy, and two, like he has betrayed us by going to Florida. Um, <laughs> It's like CLG and double lift. Yeah. So the the worst part of it, or like the most hilarious part of this, is do you know who who Gronk is? Robert Gronkowski. Uh-uh. He, he's a, he's a receiver. He played for the Patriots and then he retired. When Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay, Robert Gronkowski came out of retirement to join the Buccaneers, and he out. Oh. And he's, he hasn't been around as much as Brady, but like he was in the Super Bowl too. He 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 had a couple of very good plays, right? There's. I will I will uh, link to you into the, the chat. There's a great uh, T-Mobile commercial. Like their 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 like kind of like theme is you know you know don't leave bad decisions to bad connections, and right and it's like um you know it's 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 Gronk calling Tom Brady and it's like you should just retire right like you know there's nothing wrong with like you know just relaxing you know it, it, and, you know no one's gonna call you like weak or anything right just come down just go to Florida and maybe I'll join you right and then. From Tom Brady's side, the way the the ad goes is like, you know, uh, don't retire. You are weak. Join the <laughs> go to Florida. I'll join you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I I still dislike Tom Brady, but you know, have to respect him. Have to respect. His ability. Yeah, because he cheated, right? I tweeted about this. Okay, so he fucking cheated, right? That was the thing that happened. The, the deflate, the deflate gate thing is like super controversial. Um, like it's still unsure whether or not it was like, like so. My recollection of this, and uh, any any hardcore football fans in the chat, feel free to correct me. But my recollection of this is, if something happened, it wasn't at his direction, right? Like he didn't deflate the ball. It would be somebody in the Patriots organization who would have done that, right? Oh, he just knew about it and Or maybe maybe he didn't even know, right? Like, because, like, part of this is that, like, it wasn't, like, super deflated, right? It's not like it was, like, a, you know, like a, a flabby thing, right? Like, like there was some discussion that, like, maybe this was just kind of, like, you know, it was inflated inside and then went outside and it was cold and that caused, you know, the air inside the ball to contract and maybe that caused it, right? Like, um, but my understanding, like, 
how much it's tied to him is unknown. Um, I would believe that like this was like Bill Belichick's doing because I think Bill Belichick is actually kind of dirty, right? Like he he's the one that got caught like you know like like some of the things that he has done is like taped other people like other teams and like what like you know like it's like a no no to like tape other people's practice and watch it or something like that. Um, and that's the thing that happened, and that's like Patriots org level thing. That's not a that's not a you know a Tom Brady individually level thing. Yeah, I still think Tom Brady's kind of a dick. Like uh, when we were in college, um, this is the year the Giants beat the or what the, the second time the Giants beat them in the Super Bowl. I think it was the second. I think this is when it, this happened. But like he's playing a playoff game, and this is when Tim Tebow's like you know rising from the you know like doing his like one run of a season that goes really well, um, and the Patriots just smash his team in the in the playoffs. But what, like on a third down, like Tom Brady punts the football himself. And it's like, that's just like such a dick fucking move. Right. Oh yeah. That, yeah, that is a huge dick move. Yeah. So like, you know, that, that, that's my kind of like, you know, there's like, you know, back, back when we were in high school and college, like the giants were much better. So like, that's like part of it. But like, you know, that really cemented for me that Tom Brady's kind of an asshole. Right. So, <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Well, we're definitely at time. Oh, yeah. So we're we're way guess, over time. Yeah. Uh, if anybody is left in the chat who would like a copy of Endless Space, um, I think there's a role function. If there's not, just say here and I'll, I'll roll it on like random.org. Let, let me test this. This does not count. What if you just drop the code in chat? I could do that. Uh, okay. Slash roll is not a thing. Um, I could do that. I could do that. And I'm better pay attention. If you have this window, if you have this window muted, get wrecked. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna copy the. Code. If you're listening to this after the fact, watch watch the live streams. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So for the people at uh, people who are watching, this is going to be posted from uh, from Eternal Tango because I'm watching the stream with my personal account. But here comes the code, and it's in it's in the chat. Uh, don't 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 take it, buddy. And I took it. No, I'm kidding. I already own it. I space too. Um, so you lucked out this time. Next time, though. <laughs> um, I honestly should play Endless Space. That is another like pillar of like strategy games that I never uh, that I never went back to. I played Endless Space one a bit. I played like most of one campaign. I thought it was fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that is it for us this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Do you. Do you. Uh, if you'd like to tell us anything you thought about any of the things we talked about on this podcast, like the Super Bowl or PF Two Week Combat, you can reach us at SubdursPlayGames@gmail.com or podcast at SubdursPlayGames.com. You can watch us live on Twitch.tv/SubdursPlayGames, where I have started giving out keys. Um, uh, rate, review us on podcast services, all the other good stuff. Uh, but you have anything you're looking to promote? Uh, I will be streaming this week, but it gets good as returning this this Friday. Uh, I'm playing a game that I don't know that I'm allowed to announce actually. Ooh. But it's cool. We're playing it we're playing a game and it's gonna be fun. Obviously, but it gets good is is, you know, a good time. So that's it. That's what I'm that's what I want to promote. Alright. Well, with that I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>